Rachel. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Movement Toward Change podcast. We are using dance as a means to cultivate community and start conversation. Today, we are honored to speak with psychotherapist Catherine Drury. Catherine is a licensed clinical social worker in the state of New York. She has her master's in science and social work from Columbia University and has additional training in enhanced cognitive behavior therapy for eating disorders, behavioral action therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, and trauma-focused cognitive behavior therapy. Catherine specializes in supporting dancers and has given workshops and lectures to many dance institutions throughout New York, such as the American Ballet Theater Studio Company, the Ailey School, Princeton Ballet School, Gibney Dance, and Harkness Center for Dance Injuries. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. You're very welcome, my pleasure. Could you tell us a bit about your journey to this point and if a specific event shaped your career? Sure. So I wouldn't say that there's any one event that shaped my career. I'm fortunate to have had a diverse range of opportunities and experiences that shaped my career path. Um, To go way back, I uh, actually grew up training as a ballet dancer at a pre-professional ballet school and repertory company. Um, But for a few different reasons, injury being one of them, I made the difficult decision after high school to stop dancing. and go to college where uh, I studied psychology and then got my master's in social work. Um, I initially had no intention of working with dancers as a social worker. um, And much of my career has actually been spent working more with high-risk adolescents and young adults um, in foster care, clinic and hospital settings. Um, And then about five years ago, I kind of stumbled on an opportunity to work at an organization called the Actors Fund. Um, And if people don't know, the Actors Fund is a national human services organization um, that works specifically with the entertainment industry. Um, And for three years there, I ran, uh, they have a, a specific social services program for dance Um, that I ran and um, was able through that role to merge my passion for helping vulnerable populations with my background and identity as a dancer, which was a, a, yeah, sort of wonderful um, uh, place that that my career took me. Um, It was through that role that I I learned a lot more about the dance landscape. I, you know, was familiar with the ballet world, but um, got to know other dance communities much better through that position. Um, I also built relationships with a lot of leaders and and companies and clinicians in in the dance um, world, especially in New York City and the surrounding area. Um, And I, came to understand that there's a real need for mental health therapists who truly understand a dancer's experience, right? The unique challenges and stressors that they face. Um, And so while I was at the Actors Fund, I started my own um, part-time private practice so that I could provide ongoing mental health treatment to dancers. Um, And that need was emphasized as my schedule very quickly became full. So um, about two years ago, I left the Actors Fund to focus on my private practice. Um, And I'm actually now also uh, furthering my training um, by pursuing my PhD in clinical psychology. So um, I'm I'm hoping uh, 
with this additional education to have a broader impact on the field, um, especially by expanding my capacity to do research on dancers and their unique mental health needs. There's a real gap in the literature and our understanding of you know, what different mental health diagnoses look like among dancers um, and how we kind of adapt different treatments that exist um, to help dancers within this, this um, again, very unique and, and odd often stressful um, environment. Um, and so that's a gap that I'm, I'm hoping to, to fill through this next step. So circling back a little bit, what does your job entail as a psychotherapist for dancers and in what ways are you providing support for them? Sure. So through my private practice, um, which is based in Manhattan, but of course it's currently all virtual during the pandemic, um, I provide individual psychotherapy primarily to dancers, although I see some non-dancers as well. Um, I use primarily cognitive behavioral and evidence-based therapies. You heard in the introduction about some of the, the modalities that I'm trained in um, to treat a variety of different concerns. Um, and I use those modalities first because they're backed by a lot of research as being uh, the most effective for the, the types of diagnoses that I treat. Um, and because I, I have found that, you know, they tend to be more present focused and, and action oriented. And I find that that approach suits a lot of dancers who also tend to be very action oriented. Um, so there's kind of the individual therapy side of my practice. And then I also continue to collaborate with a lot of dance companies and, and schools and organizations, especially in New York City, um, facilitating workshops and, you know, consulting with leadership as different mental health questions or concerns come up. Um, one project that I've been uh, you know, just in kind of responding to your question about support, one question, one uh, project that I've been particularly excited to be a part of recently um, is an advocacy project called Okay, Let's Unpack This, um, which I don't know if, if either of you have heard of it, but it was started by a dancer with Gibney Dance, um, who's, who wants to, who has started really normalizing the conversation on mental health in the dance community. And um, through that project, uh, so I've been honored to serve on the clinical advisory board of that project and help her get it started. Um, I've facilitated two virtual support groups for dancers during the COVID-19 pandemic as part of that project. Um, and we're now offering free individual therapy to dancers um, through the, the project. Uh, several clinicians like myself have contracted with Gibney to provide subsidized services. So um, yeah, she's really doing amazing groundbreaking work, a lot of work that should have been done long ago to get dancers talking about these things and to reduce barriers to care. And I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be a part of that at this moment. <laughs> Leo is actually one of our podcast guests for the series. Oh, amazing. Oh, great. So yeah. That. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I did like a summer intensive last summer with Earl Mosley's Diversity of Dance. Okay, and yeah. Her, like, a talk that she gave was so inspiring. Like it was one of the inspirations actually for starting this podcast. So that's great. She's doing amazing work. Yeah. Yeah. So she and I met before as she was kind of just thinking about that project and I, I helped her get it off the ground, but yeah, she's, she's done so much with it. It's really incredible. Yes. Uh, so what would you say are the most common mental health concerns that you are treating in dancers? 
So I have specialized training in treating eating disorders. So um, that naturally um, draws, again, both dancers and non-dancers with eating disorders to my practice. Um, eating disorders or just, you know, eating and body image related problems. Um, I see dancers with that as well. Uh, I also treat depression and anxiety, um, as well as some obsessive compulsive and trauma related disorders. Um, and more generally, I work with a lot of dancers who are just managing stress um, related to career change, maybe career disappointments, performance anxiety, injury, burnout, those types of things. Um, and I also see some dancers who are generally doing okay, uh, but you know, who are looking to kind of, who are thinking more proactively and looking to um, build mental skills that will help them, you know, more consistently perform at their best and, and recognizing, again, all of the stressors and challenges and ups and downs of a dancer's career, wanting to kind of build resilience to, to face those challenges. So that's some of the work that I do as well. Mm. I think that mental strength is so important as dancers were constantly kind of thinking about the physicality of the work and, right. and sometimes the mind can escape from us but that's an equally important component if not more important than the body for sure definitely it's so nice to see that people are working proactively with mental health too and kind of building skills before they really need them yeah, I'm, I'm always impressed um, when, when dancers who come to me and say, yeah, things are generally fine. But again, like you just said, I know that this is an important part of my training. Um, maybe, you know, I'm not, you know, learning about these types of issues in, in my program and the training in the artistic dance training that I'm receiving. And so, you know, they're intentionally seeking out those skills on their own, which is, is wonderful. Definitely. Uh, so more specifically for a dancer that is struggling with their body image, what sorts of tools do you equip dancers with in response to these negative thoughts? So changing a person's body image, how a person feels about their body is really difficult. It, it takes time, um, especially in a field like dance that tends to be overly focused on shape and weight, right? Um, so for dancers who struggle with body image, they're often where I start, there are often things that they do because of those concerns that actually make their body image worse. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But so there's things that they do that, that make their body image worse. And then as they're focusing more and more on their worries about their shape and weight, they're putting less energy toward other areas of their lives that are important to them. So um, the way that I and many eating disorder therapies, therapists work, um, at least in this particular area, is to help people stop engaging in the behaviors that are perpetuating the poor body image, and at the same time to engage in other interests, other relationships, other areas of their lives so that there's naturally less room for them to be so concerned about their body. So 
Um, for example, I talk with dancers a lot about mirror use and how scrutinizing our flaws in the mirror only makes those flaws seem bigger and more apparent, right? And, and gives us a negatively skewed and frankly inaccurate picture of what our body actually looks like. So um, trying to reduce mirror use, using mirrors only when um, necessary. So for dancers, that's when you're putting on makeup, doing your hair, checking your outfit quickly before you leave the house. Um, and then in the studio, the, the mirror is really meant to be just a tool, right? To kind of quickly check your alignment, your placement during class and rehearsal, and then to refocus on your dancing. The mirror isn't, it actually isn't there for you to, to stand and scrutinize your body and, and criticize yourself, right? So learning how to, to use the mirror more appropriately, um, and then to make sure that when a dancer is looking at the mirror, again, that they're not just focusing on those parts of their body that they don't like, but that they're really seeing the whole of their body, um, seeing it to scale and in the context of the environment so that the, the image isn't so negatively distorted, um, again, before they uh, go back to, to focusing on their dancing and everything else that, that they need to be focused on. Um, or I talk with dancers a lot about body comparisons and how unhelpful they are, um, or how, you know, avoiding our bodies by covering them up with lots of warm up clothes or avoiding mirrors entirely is also problematic and, and only increases a person's anxiety about their body shape. Um, learning how to kind of relabel and think differently about days when you feel particularly bad about your body and figuring out, okay, what else might be going on to make um, this day especially hard, especially difficult. Um, again, all the while encouraging them to spend time with family and friends, explore new hobbies, um, focus more on technique-based goals for dancing, um, focus more on all of the other aspects of a dancer's training that require their attention. Um, because placing too much emphasis on your body shape and, and weight is ultimately risky. Um, and it takes away again from, from all of the other aspects of, of the art form. I think redirecting the focus onto more like positive things where change is healthy, like seeing friends more often or our technique, like that can be a nice re like redirecting that focus instead of saying, I'm not going to do all these things. Instead saying, I am going to do these new things can be, could be really helpful. Exactly. Yeah. These concerns tend to become all consuming and over time they can take up more and more brain space right more and more time um, and so you know pushing against that kind of filling filling that space with other things again means that there's less and less room for for those concerns and just leads to a fuller richer life definitely um, what are some signs of disordered eating that a dancer can, might be able to catch before it turns into an eating disorder? So this is a, a challenging question, I think, especially for dancers, um, because there's a certain level of, of body dissatisfaction um, that I think, unfortunately, is, is kind of normal um, in today's culture and, you know, maybe especially for, for dancers. Um, and so knowing when that body dissatisfaction and problematic eating behaviors are a real 
cause for concern or reason to reach out for some outside help can sometimes be a difficult line to draw, right? If, if you know, everyone around you in class and rehearsal is also struggling with these different concerns, it be, can, can, can almost, again, start to feel normal and, and feel like, okay, what is the point at which, you know, this is, this is overwhelming and this is becoming a, a real issue. Um, you know, that said, um, and this is sort of as an aside, um, but recognizing that dancers are uniquely vulnerable to developing an eating disorder. So um, it's been suggested that they have about three times greater risk of a developing an eating disorder than the rest of the population. Um, it's important that dancers do what they can now to, to limit that risk um, by practicing everything that I just mentioned, avoiding all of those behaviors that tend to make us more and more focused on our shape and weight. Um, and by making sure that you're eating regularly and flexibly and, and maintaining a balanced relationship to food. Um, eating disorders are, are sneaky and there are so many different ways that they can present themselves and those initial warning signs are gonna be different person to person. Um, but if a dancer finds themselves rigidly setting rules around the types or amounts of food that they're allowed to eat um, or exercising excessively even when they're injured or, or sick um, or if their life is really negatively affected by how much they think and, and what they feel about food, how they feel about their body. Um, you know, maybe someone doesn't enjoy dancing or all their time in the studio is they're just overwhelmed by these different concerns. Um, or maybe it's harder to go out to eat with people. It's harder to go to the beach with friends. Um, these would all be, be causes for concern um, and issues that will probably get worse if, if they're not addressed. Um, and kind of more generally, I would say if, if you think it might be an issue, if you think you may have crossed that line, um, it's worth reaching out to a professional to, to see if that's the case. Mm. So basically, if, if you're thinking I might be having some disordered eating or some disordered thoughts about food, that's probably a good time to, to reach out. For sure. Yeah. And again, if you're noticing, it's really affecting other areas of your life. Mm. So yeah, it seems like a lot of these different um, indicators are so normalized, it's difficult to know when you might need to reach out for help. Um, so if a dancer is struggling with this eating disorder, such as anorexia, bulimia, or binge eating, how specifically might they know they need to seek out help and it's not something that they can just kind of change their behaviors on their own? Yeah. So, you know, in, in the case of a frank eating disorder, I would say, you know, eating disorders almost never go away on their own. They're really difficult, if not impossible to, to tackle and get rid of on your own. So I always recommend that a dancer who's struggling with an eating disorder um, seek help from a professional. Um, yeah, because, you know, there, there are treatments that work. Um, and the sooner we're able to catch things and get things back on track, the, the easier treatment will be. 
Um, and so why, you know, kind of struggle or, or try to, to fix it on your own for any longer? Um, I usually recommend that someone seek help from a therapist, so like a, a social worker, um, a licensed mental health counselor, a psychologist, someone who's specifically trained in, in treating eating disorders. It, it is an area of therapy that requires um, focused, focused training, um, yeah, to get that extra help and support for sure. And then how might a dancer approach speaking to a therapist about these concerns if they're feeling nervous or kind of embarrassed? Good question. So, you know, these are definitely challenging topics to talk about. Um, and eating disorders in particular tend to make people think that they're the only one who's ever experienced what they're going through, right? These disorders tend to kind of thrive on, on secrecy, secrecy and, and shame. Um, and so talking to someone else about what's going on is really a, a, an important first step to kind of um, pushing against them. Um, you know, in terms of how to talk about these things, a therapist who specializes in treating eating disorders um, will know what questions to ask to give some structure around these conversations. Don't feel like you have to know, um, you know, exactly what you're going to say or exactly how to describe what's going on. Um, they'll ask a broad range of, of different um, eating problems um, that will, will help you, you talk about what's happening. Um, I've also, you know, I've had some dancers um, come to me for other issues and maybe during the course of my initial assessment, we unveil some sort of eating problem. Um, but then we don't get to really addressing that eating problem until later down the line because maybe the dancer just isn't ready to really talk about it. Maybe it's the first time that they've ever talked to anyone about these issues. Um, they're not ready to deal with it. And, you know, so assuming that they're not in any sort of medical danger that, right, that would really necessitate the immediate treatment of their eating disorder, that's okay. You know, we can talk about the other reasons that they're seeking therapy and, and kind of know that the eating disorder is something that we'll have to get to eventually. Um, I, I say all of that to say that, you know, you don't have to be 100% invested in getting rid of the eating disorder before you seek help. And most people with an eating disorder come to treatment with a good amount of ambivalence about whether or not um, they want to get rid of the eating disorder. And that's, that's normal. And again, that's okay. Um, but still, you know, find a professional um, who can help you sort of monitor things, keep an eye on things, make sense of what's going on, and then figure out in a really structured way what it is that you want to do. And how might you suggest that a dancer go about finding someone to speak to if they're not sure where to even access the resources? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, Difficult. Um, you know, there are a lot of barriers to mental health uh, care in, in our country. Um, a lot of it depends on whether or not someone has health insurance coverage. So um, if, if you do have, you know, private health insurance, often starting with your health insurance company is a good place to start. Um, because eating disorders are such a specialty, you know, oftentimes, um, health insurance companies will have in their directory of, of therapists, you know, they've, they've marked those therapists who um, treat eating disorders specifically and so can provide you a, with a, a list of names um, of, of people who specialize in treating eating disorders. 
Um, of course, then it can be a, a game of calling all of those therapists and seeing who, you know, has openings, who, who still accepts your insurance, that sort of thing. Um, uh, outside of that, I mean, there are a lot of now um, different directories online, you know, to look for therapists, things like Psychology Today. Um, uh, a lot of times people will find therapists through like a primary care physician asking, you know, different doctors if they have recommendations, um, asking other people in your community, other dancers, if you feel comfortable or, um, you know, even, even teachers, um, yeah, and you know, I'm more familiar with different resources in New York City, where we do have a lot of really great mental health clinics um, with very skilled therapists uh, who can provide, um, you know, who accept other health insurance plans like Medicaid and other Obamacare plans, um, or who can, um, you know, provide services at a very low sliding scale rate. Um, yeah, and even, um, you know, for private therapists, oftentimes people are able, if a therapist doesn't take your health insurance, you might be able to get reimbursed through your health insurance um, for the sessions. Many therapists, um, you know, like myself, will offer a sliding scale rate or reduced fee for people who have a limited ability to pay. Um, it's definitely work <laughs> uh, to find a therapist, which can feel really overwhelming when you're already struggling with all these things and already sort of not sure whether or not you want to see a therapist at all. Um, uh, but it, but it's it is possible to connect with someone and, and find that support. So, I mean, organizations like um, the Actors Fund, other so social services organizations that help people connect people with therapists, um, you know, even okay, let's unpack this is doing some of that as well, um, are, are really amazing and, and really needed because it's a complicated system to navigate. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing all those resources. That's great. Sure. Um, what might be some underlying factors that create disordered eating or an eating disorder? So uh, that's also a, a complex question. Um, you know, like most mental health disorders, uh, eating disorders seem to be caused by a combination, right, of, of genetic, psychological, and social factors. Um, the the you know combination of which might look different from from person to person. Um, there's been some research on what places dancers at particular risk for the development of eating disorders um, and disordered eating. And uh, you know while that research is is fairly limited, it seems to point to both. Um, cultural aspects of the dance profession. So things like the influence of teachers and, and coaches who really emphasize thinness um, as an important part of a dancer's success. Um, things like, you know, the leotard and tights that a dancer has to wear in the studio. You know, I talked about the, the mirrors um, that are, are, are such a part of dance and that, you know, sort of encourage body checking and, and a focus on one's appearance. Um, so there's the cultural aspects of the dance uh, profession, 
Um, and it's, it's possible that individual characteristics that many dancers tend to share um, might also contribute to that risk and make dancers uh, more vulnerable to developing an eating disorder. So things like perfectionism, right? A lot of dancers tend to be perfectionist and, and there has been found to be a correlation between clinical perfectionism and, and eating disorders, um, high stress levels, um, low self-esteem, which a lot of dancers experience. These are all things that might place them at, at greater risk for eating disorders. Um, uh, for both dancers and non-dancers as well, um, eating disorders can also, although not always, be triggered by like a, a major stressful life event. Um, so maybe, um, you know, leaving college or graduating from high school and, and going to college, um, experiencing any sort of loss or major life change or an injury, um, for, especially for dancers. Um, you know, a, a stressful life event in which maybe that person starts to turn to and, and really focus on their eating, um, their, their shape and their weight as a way to maybe self-soothe or, or to feel in control um, when, when life feels kind of out of control. Um, so again, there doesn't seem to be uh, a consistent formula that means that a person will develop an eating disorder, but these are some of the things that we think may, may contribute. So kind of seeing that eating disorders are often not about the food itself, how do you suggest a dancer begin a path towards recovery and developing a healthy relationship with food? Yeah, so again, these disorders are complex um, and they're, you know, incredibly difficult, if not impossible to, to tackle on their own. Um, you know, again, seek the, the support of a professional if, if you're struggling in this area. Um, I tell the dancers I work with that, um, you know, being in control of your eating actually means being able to eat flexibly and spontaneously, right, without denying yourself certain foods, without feeling guilty after eating, um, or feeling like you need uh, to make up for eating after the fact, without the eating disorder telling you that these are things that you can eat or, or that you can't eat. That's, that's actually the, the definition of control, right, being able to choose um, what it is that you eat when you eat. And, and that is, that is the freedom that, that treatment and, and support can give you. And, and it is actually possible to eat that way and to be a dancer. Um, uh, in fact, you know, again, it will give you more brain space and, and physical and mental energy to actually focus on your dance career, not just your body. Um, so, so I always encourage a, a varied and, and flexible diet um, as being the best possible relationship with food. All right. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of this knowledge on dancers and eating disorders. This was going to be, this is going to be very helpful um, for our community. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for all the resources and everything too. Um, if you have further questions for Catherine or would like to schedule an appointment, you can contact her through her website at katherinedrury.com. And we will also put this information in the show notes. Thank you.